Hi, Bex. Hi, Hap. Hi. How are you guys doing? Oh, up and down and all around, but I think we're going to be all right. How about you? Uh, yeah, similar, similar. Um, <laughs> yeah, thanks so much for being here. We're here to talk about uh, the home funeral that you hosted for your Hap's mom um, a year or two ago. So I thought that a nice way to start, if you're up for it, would be to just speak her name into the space. Her name was and is Mary Savage Dresser. And why don't we set the stage a little bit? So where did the idea come about to have a home funeral for her? Um... I had attended some in at the Zen Center where I practice. They, because they're a religious institution, they have a dispensation to receive bodies of residents. So if somebody lives at the Zen Center and passes away, they have a, a setup where they would kind of put a bunch of ice packs and some whole bunch of lavender and have the body in a room for three days and then it would be kind of a known fact that there that that person was in that room and anybody who lived there could kind of come and go and spend time sitting in meditation with the body or talking to the person and um i got to experience that a couple of times with people that i knew from zen center who died and I really felt it was an incredibly powerful experience to be with uh, the body of somebody, particularly somebody that I knew. And so I had that, I had the idea very strongly that if, if I ever died, I wanted my friends to get to have that opportunity. And then as I thought about it, I thought about my mom and I thought that's, that's really what I want. Um, so I went to her and asked, I was like, hey, what, what would this be like? And she, because of who she was, she always had the kind of attitude of like, well, I'm not going to be around. I don't care what happens. So, and I say that because it was not for her. It was for me and for us that we made the decision to kind of, and, and I had no idea if it would be possible for us because we're not a religious institution. We're just people. Um, but I decided to start making some calls and doing some research and figuring out if it was possible. I actually talked to my teacher at Zen Center and was like, how do you guys do this? And he said, well, we have a relationship, but you can talk to, you know, the funeral home. And so, yeah, that was, that was where the idea came from. Hmm. And what was powerful about that experience at the Zen Center when you would sit with um, sit with somebody's body in the day or so after their passing? That is a little bit hard to put into words. Um, we got to experience it uh, on steroids with mom when she was at our place. But there's really a feeling of uh, you can you can feel the person's presence and absence simultaneously. Mm. And uh, there's something deeply uncanny about it and also um, very 
philosophically moving where um, really feeling that the person is kind of still there but gone also brings home in a very powerful way the fact of one's own mortality, I would say. But even beyond that, there's a wordless, it's just weird. It's just very weird in a way that is consciousness altering and amazing. And so, yeah, I, I encourage everyone to sit with dead bodies anytime they get a chance. Yeah, I would say the same thing too, for sure. Yeah. Um, Bex, had you ever participated in a home funeral before that? No, I had not. No, this is my first first one. Um, I hadn't been to a funeral in a long time. I have sort of fuzzy memories of having been like, you know, as a little kid and maybe being like going into the room where there was a body, maybe with an open casket and kind of peeking and being like, uh, and like running away. And I think one of my friend's fathers died, but was also in a like kind of, you know, conventional funeral home situation, maybe when I was like a teen. So I have these kind of hazy memories of it where it seemed really dour and sad and kind of musty, kind of smelly, not because of the body, but because of this weird, gross beige space, <laughs> which is like sort of the vibe I from having been in a few funeral homes, that's like the vibe that comes immediately to mind and at least in the memory, so. Yeah, so tell me about the research process. Um, when you talked to Mary about this and kind of got the idea going, where did you go from there and how did you go about researching? You mentioned talking to people at the Zen Center about it. What else was involved in the process? Well, they, basically there I came up short because they sort of said, yeah, we, we have a relationship with a specific funeral home because we're a religious institution. So then I poked around on the internet and I found somebody who was in the home funeral business and I um, can't think of her name right now. She's out of Sacramento. Was it Heidi or someone else? Uh, Heidi, Heidi Boucher, B-O-U-C-H-E-R. Um, she also did a documentary, I think, about home funerals, which I have still not seen, but um, she came out at the time we were living somewhat close to there and she came and talked to us about what the process would be like and um, not to go too deep into the weeds we ended up moving after that while mom was still alive to a place where it wasn't convenient for her to help us and as mom began to approach the end we realized that Heidi wasn't going to be able to help us out, although we'd made a whole arrangement with her. Um, and she had a relationship, a pre-existing relationship with a funeral home who understood the process and she could kind of call. So it seemed like that was great. It seemed like that was kind of settled and we had a person who could interface with the weird uh, funeral industry on our behalf. And as it turned out, we moved, we were living, uh, off-grid very far out in the country and um, suddenly had to kind of pivot when we realized that mom was getting terminally ill. And then we did find a death doula uh, in the little town, the little area near where we live. And um, she, however, 
did not have a pre-existing relationship with any kind of funeral home. And so basically, although part of the service that she offered was to interface with the funeral industry, she wasn't really able to do much of that. So basically what she left us with was, you guys are gonna have to call directly to the funeral home, make an arrangement with them and see what they're willing to do. So then it kind of the ball um, ended up back in our court at that point. And um, the, I, I, I will say that that person ended up, she and her community ended up being extremely, extremely helpful uh, after, on, on the day of death, uh, they, she was uh, extremely essential to the whole process. But as far as um, figuring out how to do the funeral, we were kind of on our own in the last months of mom's death. And so we went ahead and just called a local funeral home um, and one that did cremations that had a crematorium because mom did want to be cremated and sort of presented to them like this is the situation. And we also, at that time, mom was in a care home, which also was really different. Prior to that, mom had been living with us in the place where we were. And so we had a pretty easy you know, plan for how, when she passed away, we would call, and um, but she would stay there in, the, in her room. Uh, now she was separate from us in a care home, which has the care homes, of course, have their own sets of rules about how long bodies can stay there. And um, I really had given up hope for being able to do anything. Um, but I called the care home and I said, hey, what would it be like if mom's body stayed in her room here for a few days because of our religion? I said, uh, and much to my surprise, the, the president or CEO or whatever of the care home got back to me and said, yeah, we can do that. That's we've never had anybody ask for this before, but we can do it. Um, and I said, we'll hang a note on the door saying, you know, don't come in and uh, we'll just we'll, we'll keep her body there. So much to my surprise, they agreed. So my first piece of advice for somebody who is thinking about doing this is ask. Um, because it's surprising. Most people have never encountered a situation like this, but they, most people are not um, a priori against it. Um, so then after that, uh, there was a moment where it seemed as if mom was going to end up in, um, in a, what do you call it, in a SNP, in a, 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 a skilled, skilled, skilled nursing, nursing facility. facility. Yeah, uh, which definitely meant that any kind of home funeral was going to be off the cards because then she would get picked up her body would have gotten picked up from the snip and taken directly away uh so you know I, I was a whole complicated process i won't get into where i fought that and um eventually though talking to the funeral home that had the crematorium um they said i said what's the process going to be like when mom dies at the care home where she is. And they said, well, we'll send out a car and we will pick her up and transport her to the funeral home and where you know her body will stay for a little bit and then it'll be cremated. And I said, well, and, and, and I was like, it costs some money to transport the body, right? And they said, yeah, it costs this much, a couple hundred, couple hundred dollars or something. And I said, what if I paid you that 
And instead of having the car go directly back to the funeral home, you drove to our off-grid cabin on the end of a dirt road half an hour away. And then we paid you the same amount a few days later to bring her to the funeral home. And again, the there was some hemming and hawing, but the people at the funeral home eventually were amenable. They said, we've no one's ever asked for this before, but there's no reason, there's no law that says we can't do that for you. So it's fine, we'll do that. So that was what we ended up doing, actually. And um, when mom passed away, I'll, I'll talk more about what happened immediately on that day. But, but when she passed away, the funeral home came, picked up her body, which we had cleaned, drove it out to our place, which was extremely rustic and um, almost feral, um, wheeled a gurney into our cabin, dropped off the body with us, and then took off. They didn't ask for any kind of a signature. They didn't, uh, there was no liability issue. They just took off and said, call us when you're ready to come pick her up again. Um, I have often wondered what would have happened if I had never called them. Mm. And that's all I'll say about that. Can I say more about that or should, yeah. shouldn't I? No, you can. Well, that is the thing is that I want to, I want to say one thing first, which is to encourage people. I remember the process that you describe now, you know, I remember how hard it was and how many calls you had to make at a certain point. And so I would, would underscore for people that it's absolutely your right to have the kind of death ceremony you want for your loved one. And you might have to push also just asking. It was in some ways easy where they were just like, Oh yeah, no one's ever asked that. But I remember you having, because of grief and things still also sometimes having to push or be persistent in a way that I think is extra hard given the situation. So I would just encourage people that none of this was illegal. You can definitely do it. It sort of made the funeral home and this industry has a vested interest in making it seem like you can't do it. What is illegal though would have been like having a funeral pyre for your mom, which is what you really, was what Hap really wanted to do. And so, and I think that's lovely and beautiful too. And could, could decide right now to like feel anger about how we're not allowed to do that sort of thing. But I was also to you, I was like, let's just, let's do as much as we can within the ritual you wanna do, but please don't get yourself arrested for, for this. I know you're grieving and I love you and love your mom and please don't do that to me. <laughs> so, cause there was a moment when they were like, they were like, just tell us when you want us to pick her up. And we were like, wow, weird. <laughs> Because again, then you are not allowed to bury the body on your land. You're not allowed to burn it. You can't, or put put it out on the kayak in your tiny pond, which would have been very silly to do because our pond is quite tiny, but <laughs> you can't do those things. You have to. Well, all those things are against the law. There are laws against those things and health department regulations and so yeah. forth, but it's super not clear who's responsible for enforcement uh, and true. which is part of what we learned going through this whole process too is like there is a there's a way that these things are done under you know techno capitalism in industrial society and if you step outside that 
there's a huge gray area where there actually aren't rules or there are rules, but nobody's in charge of enforcing them. And really nobody knows. And there are funeral homes that will allow you to pick up a body in your own car if you ask. Um, and then there are other ones and it goes, there's no law about this. So it goes funeral home by funeral home. And if you meet with a no talking to one funeral home, you can call another one because, you know, it's, it's capitalism and you, you get what you're paid for. And so, mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's a, it's a big gray area once you step off the beaten path. Yeah. And it's all state by state. I think I could be wrong about this, but I think in most states you can do private burials, private property burials. In, in California, you would have to have a permit and the process of getting that permit is a multi-year process. I did look into that. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 Anyway, um, that's interesting to know that that's so different in other states though, which I, I mean, I think it should be, I think that should be our right, but yeah. yeah. Were y'all working within a time constraint? Um, I am guessing you did not embalm her body, which typically there is a time constraint if you're not embalming. No, we didn't. So was there a number of days that you had um, that you had to like, by law, have her buried by? No. And I mean, she wasn't buried, she was cremated and- but in fact, the, so the death doula we were working with said that three days is pretty safe. Now, having gone through the process of having her body in our home for three days, uh, it was on ice, you know, on on dry ice. And I can talk about how we did that. Um, it was it was definitely there was no danger of decomposition setting in. Um, so you could probably hold the body for longer. But in fact, uh, what happened with her body was then the funeral home came, picked it up in their truck, took it back to the funeral home, and it sat under refrigeration for a full six weeks because they, the funeral home, the crematorium was backed up um, because of COVID, actually. So then she didn't actually get burned for another six weeks. So Yeah, yeah this would have been like, I guess she passed away at the end of January 2022. Yeah. So yeah. So it was then, it was backed up from staff, like being out with COVID. Yeah. Just to be clear, it's right. not it quite as morbid as it might, might boxes, sound. Yeah. That was reality in some places, but that was, it was <laughs> but yeah. And she looked remarkably similar when we saw her like six weeks later, um, The absolutely the same. So yeah, yeah. yeah. crazy. What kinds of things were you coordinating with the funeral home or the funeral director, the transportation, the cremation, were there other things that they were doing for you? No, the funeral, as far as their uh, part in the whole process, that was it, was they, they, so there's a bunch of laws around transporting bodies and theoretically you have to have certain kinds of licenses and, you know, even for, as you probably know, even for transporting ashes, you have to fill out a, a form that says they're human remains. So there's a bunch of kind of weird taboo rules around that. So the, that's why you really need a funeral home. Although, as I say, some of them will allow you to come and pick up a body in your own car, um, which is odd. <laughs> um, but no, that was, that was all they did for us. So the process 
was then that we um, met with the, the morning that she died, we met with the death doula and a person from her community, a volunteer. They came and met us at the care home her mom was and talked us through the process of washing and wrapping the body, which that was pretty intense, um, especially for me. Uh, and I was really, really grateful to have some guidance through that process. And I was going to say, that's really what this specific organization does, is they're there to talk you through it and to do it, you know, right and well, and, but to, and to, you know, sort of be support in a time when it would probably be hard to remember all the steps on your own, if it is your family member, but they're really there to like empower you to um prepare the body as you wish within what they recommend and um to to then have the kind of ritual you want with the body and they were awesome yeah 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 so a few friends of ours that we put out the call well oh yeah sorry i was gonna start talking about when you and me and kaya washed her body but anyway yeah. go on well that's yeah yeah so we so when when we got the call from the care home saying your mom passed away in the night, we called a few friends and said, hey, this is happening. And if you are free, um, we're going to be washing her body. And um, several people, including one woman with a teenage boy, teenage child, um, came and joined us in the process, which um, is pretty, that, that part is pretty visceral. Um, and I, I mean that literally because after death, one of the things that happens is the body begins to evacuate any kind of stuff that's in the intestines or the bladder. And uh, so you really have to clean. And those are the parts you really want to get clean if you're going to be keeping yeah. a body in your home. So and the death doula helped us do some of that really intimate work, which was a little, I think, definitely harder for you. Harder for me, too, though, at, with, with my mother-in-law in a way that almost feels like skipping ahead. But can I, But I'm just going to talk about, about some of the viscerality of it, um, which is just that, you know, as we were, so we were starting to do a thing where we would sort of roll her body from one side to another with a sheet under it um, to clean different parts of her. And every time we did this, like more urine would leak out. Like, and you just imagine like a vessel with its like liquid sloshing, like where each time we'd be like, we'd be like, oh wow, there's more. And we'd like, you know, kind of turn her again to do another thing and be like, oh wow, there's more, which was kind of incredible. Of course that happens. But there were a lot of very visceral things like that that were sort of uh, wondrous and like then quite, um, be visceral is a word. I don't know if I can also quite quite banal, but but so but extraordinary at the same time. Um, and so um, and so there was also a moment where I remember when um, I think that maybe Akila and her team had already the death doula and her team had already like arrived there when we arrived. That we maybe, all met downstairs. Maybe we just all met. And maybe we just all met and then they went in and were much less, you know, it's a sort of somewhat routine for the like death doula community, but 
for me was the first time going to like wash and dress someone's body. And so, um, and so it was Hap and me and our friend Kaya who came for the actual like cleaning part and the rest of our friends that you mentioned met us. And I do remember Kaya, I think maybe arrived a little later. I remember like how much time it took me to sort of warm up to the situation to like kind of go in and be like, oh, wow, this is heavy as like the death doulas started their work. And then we're also instructing us, like we brought essential oils, we brought washcloths and like a bowl to do some of the washing. So I sort of had the stuff, but was still hanging and, you know, giving it to them, but was also hanging back. It was like, oh, wow. And then like, you know, it slowly became more comfortable where I could approach her body and help. And I watched Kaya go through the same thing. Who's our friend who's very, unflappable and like is the kind of person who just dives into things but it was interesting to also be I had gotten a little more comfortable and had started to wash her body and Kaya came in and I could tell Kaya was kind of like oh damn and kind of like holding back and then and then there was a certain point where we were both Kaya is also a yoga teacher I'm a yoga teacher and we were both like we all have our like physical sort of spirals and places and she had sort of she had died with her head sort of cocked and rolled to one side. And we were both like doing what yoga teachers or students might recognize as like Shavasana adjustments. Like we were both kind of tugging on her neck to try to lengthen it out. And we were both kind of giggling and we were like, wow, ultimate Shavasana means corpse pose. Some people will know that. We we're like, well, this is the ultimate Shavasana adjustment. I hope someone does this for me uh, <laughs> when I am dead and hopefully having a home funeral. So that was like a really special, I'm getting like a little teary that was so moving and to be caring for her in that way that also felt very, um, I mean, it felt like care to be like washing her. And um, it was quite beautiful to get to do that. And I would say, I don't know how it'll be if when I have the opportunity to do that for my parents, I don't know if they will be comfortable with that. They're certainly more conventional. So for me, as it not being my parent was so rewarding, I would tell anyone to do it. And that said, I still, I know there will be squickier, weirder parts for me if it's my parents, but I would just say, you should do it if you have any opportunity. And maybe if you have the opportunity to do it with someone who isn't your family, like go do that. Like I would go do that again in a heartbeat. Yeah, it was really interesting how when first confronted with the, the physical presence of a corpse, uh, there's a really strong kind of disgust reaction and the sense of danger at the, yes. yeah. in the space. And, and I did see every friend as they arrived go through that where they would kind of like, it's just so raw. And then they would kind of stand back and watch the rest of us who had gotten kind of used to it at that point, kind of bustling around and, you know, washing and scrubbing and, and people were just like, wow, this is really real. Um, and then slowly they would kind of get into it and you, you lose that sense of danger and disgust over time. Yeah. And um, I remember her body when by the time we came she'd been dead for four or five hours I think and so her uh, muscles had not totally gone into rigor mortis we right. could still move her well and this is a thing sorry to interrupt yeah. that is really fascinating that I think you'll probably fa find fascinating too 
um, Jane, which is that her body was, because rigor mortis had quite set in, she was still stiff, but like, as you moved her, as you moved her, she got more fluid, just like a living body still would. And so that was really a trip where you just kind of had to like warm her up. You to could sort even of... massage, yes, like, like her, yes. her uh, one of her arms had kind of bent in. And so if we massaged the elbow for a while, then we were able to kind of open it out more. Yeah, yeah, to kind of reposition her. No, that was really a trip of what a, um, what a kind of continuum, like tissue-based continuum it is. Even though something is radically like abruptly different when someone is dead. Yeah, yeah. And then um, I remember that uh, her eyes were open and when we first got there, her eyes were like really still glossy and really looked like they were like staring. Yeah. And um, there was, I, you kept kind of closing them <laughs> because it was so eerie to see her, her mouth was kind of open and her yeah. eyes were staring and, and I would come along and open them again because I liked how uncanny it was. Such a, that's kind of all you need to know about us. So, no, it's true. Actually, before the death, I remember talking to the death doula, like in the lobby about like how the sort of, you know, protocol would go. And I remember her being like, as soon as she's dead, you have to tie her mouth shut. Yeah. You have to like tie a ribbon or it's going to stay open and it's very spooky to people. I remember, and she said it in a much more delicate way, but I remember being like, oh my God, what are we doing here? And then that did kind of happen. Her mouth was just kind of open because getting like someone on staff to do that did that, you know, after she passed away. I mean, she passed away at like 7 a.m., kind of a, a fairly godly hour for us to get there soon after. But I, I think she had died earlier. Really? They called it. Yeah, that makes more sense. Actually, that makes sense with the timeline. Yeah. 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 Okay, well. <laughs> so, so yeah, in the event, um, having her mouth kind of open and her eyes kind of open, her eyes got dull as the day went on and it was less eerie. But definitely yeah. at first it was really pretty spooky. Yeah. I am really like struck in particular by the part of the story about everybody coming into this space slowly habituating to it I mean it's actually amazingly fast habituation it feels like from my perspective to hear that um everybody who came had that same reaction and that seems like a situation where you can't really fake it like it's so visceral and raw that you can either like do it or you can't but it's it's kind of amazing that you all were able to like pretty quickly it sounds like I, I just like imagine you like taking one step closer, you know, every few minutes or something. Um, yeah, there's something really powerful uh, about that part of the story for me. I wonder if you were in that situation again, if it would be a similar kind of habituation process or if that would diminish with more experience doing that. I could see it diminishing if I were a death doula and like did it a lot, but I feel like, and sometimes because of this, I think I might eventually want to do some of that work, but I could still imagine it be like taking that much exposure to, I mean, it might be, it'll probably be a little more comfortable next time, but, but I still imagine I would have like pause in, in being in that space with a, 
dead person again. It's really powerful. Right. And again, I think the sort of disgust is really adaptive, um, as is sticking with it and getting past it. Um, yeah, yeah, I think it's there's a way where it's an irreducible. It's one of those things that that you kind of I think now I because I have gone through the process, I would know that my initial feeling put off um, that I that I could push through that mm -hmm. and that it's safe to push through that. But I would still have it and I would still have to be pushing through because it's one of those things that you have to push through mm -hmm. where you're like, okay, we're doing this. Yeah. And then and then you're doing it. And then it kind of then you're like, okay, I guess I really did do it. And now we're doing it. Um, I mean, I imagine yeah. that was even more for you, but that felt very timeless to me. A, a little bit of a like, like I don't, I don't. Like we don't have kids yet, you know. I'm not like a birth worker or a death worker. It felt like this very, like, primal is not the right word. Like traditional is like it felt like one of the most traditional things I'd ever done or something. It felt like it really connected me to lineage and ancestry to be like, someone's dead. This is what we do. Like, yeah, yeah. Like I, I'll take and take my time. I don't have to rush in. But like, at a certain point, I had to be like, like not like I'll not think about it. Like I was numb or dissociated because I, I felt remarkably present. And so not with those strategies, but I did feel like, okay, time to like dive in. Like I, okay, like I'm never gonna feel completely ready to do this and it has to get done. You're right, right. There's this knowing that like, this is what we have to do. Yeah, and like we can't waste, waste a lot of time. Right. We need to get her body clean and dressed and like on ice. Yeah. Yeah, and people are coming later today yeah. to see her. So we gotta, like, yeah. it felt very, like adult doesn't like catch the magnitude of what I'm trying to say what, about how like, I did feel like me, feel like it connected me to lineage and ancestry in this way of like many, many people, probably usually women, like tasked with being like, all right, cut the bullshit everyone, let's go in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and of course, it made me think about the fact that a few short decades ago, I mean, how long ago, really recently, before the 50s, before the, the 50s, I even, I think, any family would have known how to handle a yes. dead body. Like, it's really recent that hospital deaths are the norm. And that we're protected to our detriment. Yeah. Yeah. Protected in the sense of, like, outsourcing that part? outsourcing it yeah and not um you know hiding it from family or sometimes or from children certainly I don't know if you want to say about your childhood experience with that or if that's a lot um which one with with your dad oh just like oh yeah no so yeah that's like that's the example is like my dad died when I was 11 but I wasn't there when he died I was um I was a few hours away and or an hour and a half away or something and so by the time i got home which was maybe six hours after he died his body was already gone so i never got to see my father's body and mom kind of you know she was of course grieving but also she sort of said yeah i didn't i wasn't even able to think about it like they the great gray they just came and took the body away and I wasn't offered any option and I didn't 
you know, nobody said like, maybe this man's son would like to say goodbye, you know, that yeah. it just went through the process. Yeah. Yeah. And just fuck that. It is so fucked up. Like that is so, yeah, I, I feel very defensive of your little, of young you. And I'm like that seeing a body, whether it's been a body of my cat or my mother-in-law is so important for closure. Not everyone gets to have that in the world and we're not guaranteed that, but in a case where we could have that, like depriving anyone of it, especially a like spouse or a kid, it's just insane to me. And it really shows how um, damaged our society is in like caring for and around death. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like literally can't can't look at it. Um Yeah, and like we have to protect the kid from it. Like he's already his dad died when he was eleven. Like all the bad stuff, all the hard stuff is gonna come of that. That we can't change that. So let him have some like closure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I had a, a family member pass a few months ago and it's funny, I almost called y'all when I was driving, I was driving up to New Jersey and I, I didn't know what the funeral arrangements were. I didn't know that they had been made already. They had been made way in advance, but so um, home funerals were an option. Funerals director came in pretty quickly after, but I, you know, the like home that she was in, it was a great place, but they were saying something about like, we don't want the other residents to see, so maybe we can move her out quickly so that like, they were gonna be at dinner and they won't see her. And I was like, fuck that <laughs> give us a few hours at least you know we sat there with her for three hours and it was um I really relate to what you're saying like I think a lot of like parts of my body wouldn't have understood so well you know if I if I didn't get to just sit there and take it in I was repeat I was talking to my family and we were telling stories and laughing and I would just periodically look at her like take it in all over again um I actually like, yeah, I drove from North Carolina to New Jersey to be there with her and it was a really long drive. And I kept having this experience of like, it's like my mind resetting being like, I think my grandmother's dying, but I'm not, did that actually happen? I would like keep checking my texts to see if that really ha was happening. And it was, yeah, getting to be there, be there at the passing. And then for hours afterward, like re-experiencing and reprocessing. Um, yeah, there really is something about that, like, body-to-body, body, I don't even know what to call it, that feels so important. If it's, obviously, like you said, it's not, just not an option a lot of the time, but when it is, it feels so important. Yeah, no, and I love, I love how you're saying it. I really think it's a, a very, like, um, below words or beyond words kind of knowing like body to body completely I think it is yeah and uh it's it's iterative I think you really hit on that's a really important part of it is like you do kind of keep like going like yeah like and that's part of the flickering sense of the person being there and not there is like you look away and you're like you you return to the sense of who they are or were in your life and then you look back and you're like wow okay that's a body and then you turn away again and, and you come back and um but it, it really it takes time that process takes time and it takes repeated i think you're right it takes repeated exposures mm. to kind of uh, go through that and i also wanted to say that we had the exact same thing when 
the we were there we you know kind of were done washing and we shrouded i had bought a piece of fabric to shroud mom in and so we wrapped her up like a burrito um <laughs> except with her with her head showing um and then uh called i called the funeral home and was like okay come come and get her and so they sent a truck out and when the driver arrived, the person at the desk of the care home was like, okay, you go around to the donut room. And I was like, the, the what? The donut? I never heard of, I've never heard of the donut room, but that's what they call. There's like a back room that has a big door and that's where they wheeled the gurney in so that the other, and then there's an elevator near that room so that the other residents didn't have to see the gurney going through because of course they're all sitting there waiting for the gurney to come for them and <laughs> nobody ain't nobody want to think about that um supposedly so yeah um i would love to read so i think the seed for this conversation was planted a while ago not long after this was let's see a year and a half ago it sounds like a little more than a year and a half ago um and bex posted something on Instagram about it and I read yeah I would just love to read that caption aloud because I thought it was so beautiful and um it yeah planted the seed long before this podcast was born that I would love to talk to you guys about this experience so here it is <clears throat> my mother-in-law Mary died at 96 and my husband and I washed and dressed her body ourselves and had her at our home for three days friends came and went we sang and chanted and prayed and talked to Mary throughout the night. Don't let the funeral home industry deprive you of facing death and grief so directly. It is your birthright. This was one of the peak experiences of my life. Transformative celebratory grief. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, why don't you talk me through more about the day that she passed, um, maybe after, yeah, after the cleaning, I would love to hear about the dressing part. I've seen a picture of her and she was dressed really beautifully. I would love to hear about that process. And then, yeah, everything kind of in the time frame between then and maybe calling, calling the funeral home again. Well, we had picked out um, a dress that she had that was really, really beautiful that we had kind of pre-planned. What, what is that garment called? I forget right now. It's some kind of a Middle Eastern garment that had been bought for her in Dubai, but it was like black and had, mostly black, but had beading around the collar in like purple and like crimson and orange and like peacock blue or something. Something like that. It had a lot of bright colors on it. I want to add this one thing because it was just so her, she would wear this dress and a witch hat for Halloween. Um, and she had kind of identified as a witch for, I think, a lot of her life, if not all of her life. Um, and she definitely like at this, you know, in her 90s, like kind of looked like an adorable little old witch. And um, like she had made this sign for our home when she lived with us that said the door is always open and the witch is always home um she was like an artist and a calligrapher and she'd made this sign and like we we were like can we hang that on the front door and she was like I was gonna ask you to and so anyway so she was a really 
really wonderful person and really charming person. And so she had this dress that she looked like a total kind of witch goddess in. And that is partly why we chose. It was just a beautiful on her and striking. And I feel like the fact that she wore it as a witch for many Halloweens, she actually won the costume contest at the home she was in. I mean, she definitely deserved it. Um, and was like so thrilled. She was like that year, she was like gloating about it, which was so cute. Like she was really kind of like a bratty kid a little bit where she was like about how she like beat everyone else. And again, she deserved it. Like she looked fantastic. Um, and so we put this dress on her and a well, wait, yeah. What what I want to say is okay. that um, putting the dress on that was a thing because her arms were starting right. to stiffen at that point. Yeah, and you know to get a the dress was a little bit close fitting, so like to get her arms, we kept kind of trying, especially her right arm, like trying to get it to pull it up. So I mean, oh, all, that's right. I think we, there were four of us around the body at that point because we kind of brought her arms yeah. down and sort of crossed them. They kind of wanted to, you know flex in in a way and it really makes sense to me yeah bodies do kind of return to this natal shape even when we die but yeah i forgot about how hard it was to, to so so in the end uh the the death do was like i don't know we can cut it and i was like we're just gonna cut it and so we slit the back yes and then got her into it and and then like tucked, tucked it, it under, under her. her so that you know, she, would, yeah. since she was going to be on her back from then on. I know. Those are, you know, home funeral tricks that are totally allowed. <laughs> yeah. 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 But then so, what were you going to say? Well, we also had that beautiful amber necklace, like a, an old friend had given her. So it was like this giant chunk of amber. Um, she was Lithuanian. And so it was a piece of amber from Lithuania and like was kind of half raw, half polished. And so that also made her just look like a like witch goddess. And her hair was kind of long and white at that point. And we decided to just let it be like long and wild on the pillow. And then we had this, she loved peacocks and we had this like peacock pillow another friend had given us that we put under her head. And I mean, maybe that just sort of segues us into the setup at our home. Can I describe a little bit of that? Yeah. 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 So. So we put her on her, what had been her old bed, not the kind of adjustable bed that we had gotten her for the home, which we set up in the middle of our kind of living room in this cottage that at the time had a dirt floor. Um, and I guess still kind of has a dirt floor or <laughs> still has our like rubble and ash floor. But, um, but she was in the middle of this big sort of rustic yet gorgeous building and, um, we surrounded her with peacock feathers. She loved, loved, loved peacocks and um, and like local flowers like manzanita and toyon and yeah, what else? And we surrounded her with, they were actually LED candles because that also felt safer among the foliage and, and we could just leave her lit up all the time. Yeah, and um, we, so there was good instruction that we got from the death doula was at home we purchased some chunks of dry ice that's right and the dry ice can't be put directly on the body because it is too strong so you want to wrap the dry ice in plastic and then the important 
places that need to be iced are the head and the, the viscera. So like under the small of her back and on top of her belly. But at night, I would always put a little chunk of dry ice on top of her belly and take it off during the day. And then under her head, there was some dry ice because those are the areas that'll start to decompose first. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was, you, you want, I, I think we've pretty much covered the process of the morning of her death. Mm -hmm. um, it was really washing, comb, brushing her hair, making her look good, mm -hmm. dressing her. And then the, the, the shroud part, the shroud partly functions like Bex was saying, like you can use a sheet to kind of, actually you do this with people when they're just old and sick too, you kind of turn right. them using a sheet. So you can kind of like shake somebody back and forth with it. But also then you can use, you can pick up the shroud and carry the body and set it on a gurney mm -hmm. using that. So you want some kind of a sheet or something that you can pick up and, and use to help transport the body. I think unless there's any other details that you want to know, that's, that's mostly what it was on the, on the day of death. Yeah. yeah, I don't think so. I'd love to hear about um, the next couple of days. Um, if you had like a set funeral, what that was like. And you also mentioned talking to her throughout the night and chanting and praying, just anything, anything you, that's fun and meaningful for you to share about those experiences. And um, yeah, like what what rituals felt you mentioned at the beginning that this was more for you than for her um so like what rituals at that time felt really meaningful and important for you and yeah yeah it was um so the the way we were living i said it was very rustic and also uh we we slept in a little cottage that was about a quarter mile from this bigger structure where mom was. So that was kind of good because uh, she wasn't directly like with us in our bedroom. That would have been kind of intense. No, that would have been, I don't know if I could have done that. And I think that's okay. I don't think that's a shortcoming of mine. That was, it was kind of nice though. I remember, I don't know if I said it out loud at the time, we'd heard the story from the previous owner of the place that one time he had slept in the place where your mom was and that he had woken up and there was a bear inside one day. Um, I mean, he had left the doors open, I think for that to happen. We were shutting the doors, but I still, I had this fear that like an animal would come in and bother uh, mom. That was real, no, because yeah. I mean, we did, there were a lot of foxes and other kinds of skunks, and like, skunks that would come in, snakes, <laughs> yeah. all kinds of things, mice. Would, there was a wood rat that was kind of back in the wine cellar. Um, so that was a real fear. And every morning when I went in to check on her, I was like, okay, has anybody nibbled on her? But no, that would have been super that would have been really bad. Morbid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but to answer your question about like meaningful ceremonies and stuff, like it meant there was a there was a clear dividing line of like now we're at home kind of doing our life that's for us, and now we're gonna go to the death space well kind of but not totally my office was off of the big room she was in and i you know it was still beginning of 2022 so I, my teaching was all still online had a lot of zoom meetings i guess as a lot of us do now anyway but 
So I was like taking meetings or clients or teaching classes all online. And so numerous times of the day, I would like pass by her and I started just like either bowing to her or I'd even, it was amazing. I loved that I got to have a few days of this. I'd be like, like I couldn't go in and not acknowledge her. So I would either bow or I'd be like, hey, Mary, and be in my office. And I would like, you know, come and go doing my thing. And I'd always have to be like, okay, bye, Mary, see you later. And just would like kind of talk to her and include her in my day. I was struck by how banal that felt. I mean, it was beautiful. It also was really touching each time. And I'm sometimes it would like, I'd be kind of teary chatting with her, but sometimes I would just, as a matter of course, sort of chit chat with her and then be on my way and be like, wow, this is weird, but it's not weird. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's great. I've, I've forgotten that. Yeah. yeah. It, I love that. At night, sometimes that was a little spooky when I had to go over there for sure. Yeah. But, um, but in the day it really, she, like, I remember thinking like, I'm going to miss greeting her when she's gone. And it's interesting how it made the gone much more of a gradient or transition than if she was dead and her body was gone. That sort of underscores the importance of what we were talking about about um and I'll probably come back to that again when we talk about like cremating her and everything yeah yeah yeah, yeah let's bookmark that yeah. um yeah for me it was definitely like I kind of very deliberately I remember deliberately going there on a couple of nights um one night and like I think the second night I think the first day like some people visited they wanted we we sent out an invitation and said to anybody who knew her she's going to be here at our place for three days and you're welcome to come and actually a kind of a funny story is we had a visit from an old friend of mom's who among other you know she sits on the boards of a bunch of things and among other things she she um she sits on the board of a nonprofit dedicated to home funerals and uh, so she was very interested in coming to be with mom. And when she stepped into the space, I could tell she would could not stop talking. And she was not looking at the body. She was looking at anything else but the body. I swear she didn't look at Mary once. And yeah. like, it was just, it was really striking, especially because she had yeah. so much to say about the home funeral yeah. industry that we agreed with like yeah. she, was, she was telling us all about all the intricacies of it and about how people <laughs> have all these rights and so forth and then just as i was finally like packing her off into her car i was like so have you ever been to a home funeral like this before and she was like no this is my first time being at one yeah. that was kind of interesting yeah um but for me the really the most powerful thing i think uh, the, the day of her funeral was really powerful. And then one night I went in, or a couple of nights I went in and just sat with her and I could light these, you know, we had these LED candles all around her. And, and again, it was one of those things where you went deeper into it. Like at first touching her felt a little scary. She was cold, really cold. And, but I kind of touched her and talked to her and then held her her little broken hand, mine, her stiff hand, and and I just said, I said, please, you can't be gone. 
and then started weeping and you know tears and snot from my face was falling down onto her body and then I just put my face down next to hers and it was cold so cold and ah. Uh, I wept and wept and talked to her and talked about my childhood and forgave her for some fucked up things that she did and talked to her about my dad, talked to her about a bunch of stuff that's really personal. And I remember on that night in particular, like, like things got pretty weird in there and just psychologically and I I put out all the turned off all the candles and put some ice on her belly and walked back Bex was in bed in our cottage and I crawled into bed and it was so weird how warm you were like I had really gone to a place where everything was cold and gray and and returning to like this kind of beating, this like supple, beating heart, warm flesh world was a transition, a real transition. And that was an incredible experience. Um, so then the next night, the third night that she was there, friends came, amazing again, friends that um, I feel so supported by. Because where we lived is far away from where everybody else lives. and Yeah, a few people, friends, like, you know, came up from the Bay. So three, some, even three and a half hours. Yeah. Yeah. And people put their lives on hold to come up and, and celebrate mom's life. And they came the night before she was going to get picked up. And uh, we all, you know, a friend led us in a Buddhist chant and made tea which we drank together and we all talked to her a little bit and then I remember that we put two friends up in Bex's yoga studio which is there in the <laughs> building with mom and then another friend was like I just like sleeping on the sofa. Well, the sofa was in the same room. Yeah. With and whenever this friend visited, she would sleep on the yeah, sofa. It's kind of a, sofa. It's like comfortable a running her. joke that was like, we were always like, hey, you want the sofa, of course, right? And so, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think Kaya slept in the big house too. That like Kaya wanted, I think, wanted to sleep with her too. I think maybe. Kaya slept on the other part of the sofa. Yeah. I think they both slept on the sofa. So, yeah, I was a little bit like, okay, y'all, I, I hope you're all going to be all right. But, you know, they were fine. They turned off the candles and went yeah. to bed and apparently, you know, slept okay. Um, but no, sitting sitting up with her was beautiful. Like, we all took turns talking. Yeah. A number of these friends, some of them had known her maybe for five or six or ten years. And some had known her since you were, like, 20. And so for, for a long time... Um, and so, so it was just beautiful, like stories unfolded and people really spent time with her. And um, it was really powerful for me too, to get to like say words to her that maybe I hadn't said or that it were occurring to me to say then. 
And I, we kept having this feeling, I feel like all of us were saying this, could have been like the flickering, like the flickering of these fake candles was really good. They did a really good job. There were some of the LED ones that flicker and, but we kept looking and being like, oh, I swear wow. she's breathing. It kept looking like Mary was like breathing and you kind of watch and be like, oh, of course she's not. You'd be like, is she breathing? It was so interesting to watch. I really feel like that's such a deep, thing in our body minds is to expect breath from a body like warmth too I didn't go to the sort of liminal space you did when you spent time alone with her and like came back to me I didn't really go to the underworld like that like you did but but it was uncanny every time to like hold her hand or kiss her because that became very natural spending time with her and it was still always shocking how cold she was partly because of the ice, right? She's probably colder than she would have been, but because she was still had soft, smooth old lady skin and yet was, the, the temperature is such a, I had never had the opportunity to consider how much we take that for granted as a, as a like yeah. indicator of life. Yeah, homeostasis um, is amazing. It's amazing. We're hot. We're like yeah. really, yeah, really hot. And so- when we're alive. And so like, I wanted to talk about the marshmallows too. Do you want to talk about that? Oh, well, yeah. So then we had, I mean, that's, then we had a little ceremony the next day where I, what we, we dressed up and uh, some more people came and we actually, all, the death doula came the, back. It was so yeah. flattering. She was like, I just love how you all are approaching this. Can I just come? We were like, would be our honor, like, please. And so she and another one of her like death doula colleagues came and the funeral, the funeral home people came. They came at the end. They came they at the end, but they the went, ceremony. oh, I guess you're right. They did yeah. come at the end, but yeah. Um, anyway. but yeah. So it felt more kind of formal and public uh, that morning. And we put up, we played music. Some other friends had said, we can't be there, but can you please put on this song by the Decemberists? And so <laughs> we did. And uh, we also played some of mom's like favorite opera arias and stuff. And um, people had prepared little readings they wanted to do. And, uh, and we all spoke to her again in kind of a formal way. And I, I remember something that I said that some people have said was significant for them was I said, mom, in a lot of ways, you were a shitty mother. And the ways that you were a shitty mother made me into the man I am. And so I'm grateful and I forgive you. So I'll just repeat that. Um, yeah, and then um, I cried a lot on that day also, really could not stop crying. And then together we did this beautiful process of wrapping her up more so she was swaddled a little bit already from her, you know, at her feet. She was kind of closely swaddled in the, um, no, we swaddled her that morning. We took, she was laying on the shroud and we wrapped up, we pulled it up over her feet like a burrito and then wrapped in one side and then the other. And then we had a bunch of scarves and we started tying scarves around. So first at her feet and yeah. then a little higher up. And then we kept tucking the shroud across and tying another scarf. Well, they were all her scarves. She had this like, 
I think if you're an old lady, you get a lot of scarves. It's it just that way. But she also had some that she had like hand dyed. She'd had a like silk marbling phase. Anyway, they were just very her. Yeah. They were all these like beautiful, sometimes beaded or like silk, like old lady scarves. I I mean, I feel like that's a type of scarf. But I, it just seemed very her. Yeah. And then so we slowly got her enclosed until she was she was then wrapped all the way up and just her face was visible. And as we went with the scarves, we tucked, um, Bex had gotten a bunch of peacock feathers and we tucked peacock feathers into the scarves. And another friend, mom, one of her kind of childlike delightful qualities was that she absolutely loved junk food and in particular marshmallows. She just was crazy for marshmallows. And so a friend had brought a bunch of marshmallows, which we actually sampled the night before no, we all passed around marshmallows. That's what I was remembering the moment the night before Elisa had brought the marshmallows and um, like the giant ones. And we, it was, you know, we were laughing, crying because we were like, oh, mom loved marshmallows. And we were like, so we were all sipping the tea. And like after we had done the Buddhist chant and Elisa passed out the marshmallows and we were all kind of weeping and giggling and eating the marshmallows. And we all ate, you know, like halfway through those massive marshmallows and we were all like, yeah, I don't think I can eat anymore. <laughs> yeah, they, they weren't that good. Um, but so we tucked we them. We tucked them into the, into the scarves of the shroud because mom also, she would have loved, she had a very dark sense of humor and she would have loved the joke of like toasting marshmallows in the crematorium. Yes. So all of that was like, she, but yeah, exactly. She would have just cackled at that. Maybe she was cackling at that and we don't know. <laughs> and then I remember like the last moment of kind of pulling then the shroud over her face. That was really hard and it was time to do it. And we all kind of said one last thing to her and then you know, I was like, okay, I guess it's my job to do this. And I was like, I can't fucking do this. I can't say goodbye to her right now. I think I, I think I you started it. And I might have started it, but no, I remember that, that, like that, it's funny how that felt like, I mean, it was all a process of saying goodbye. The last six months of her life was part of that process. So if someone gets to die at home in bed, again, not everybody like gets that privilege, but we got to really see, I mean, I say six months, six years, we got to see the slow fade of a person as they kind of cross beyond the veil before they're dead. But that really felt abrupt. Yeah. Almost maybe because we'd been expecting her to die for a long time. She kind of took her time and went into, I can't remember the term. Obtundedness. No, I remember oh. obtundedness, but there was something else like, you know, she was, she was under hospice care and then she had like got taken out of it where I was like, wait, what that happens? Like what is going on? So it really felt, and then she's back in it and then she did die, but it really waiting for that moment felt like it was dragging. Um, it's where I definitely was like, oh my God, can we just, oh, can we just get it over? What a roller coaster. And yet when she, we like even went into her room, even though I felt hesitation on the morning she died, it didn't feel abrupt like covering her face did which felt kind of wrong like I was like we can't no I'm gonna miss her I say hi to her when I go to my office I bow to her she's here what the she ties the room together we can't we can't yeah. get rid of her and can't cover really her face having her there and I really didn't want to 
to send her body away. But it's still, and it's, it's still funny how much covering her face felt really wrong, like wrong, like not what you do. Yeah. That and that and obviously that is felt fine. Yeah, for me it felt felt as I described. But you're right, there was a kind of finality to it of being like. But you're right. You don't do that when you're tucking somebody in. Yeah. You don't you don't tuck in that part, and it's like, wait, there's something wrong here. It's yeah, no, I just it. remember feel that was a moment that felt quite unnatural in like my deep, like deep in my body. Yeah. So, yeah. and so, so and but. After she was shrouded, you had us all stand on a ladder. Kate wanted to take pictures, and so she went and got the ladder, and she was going to take a picture from above, and then it... That's right. She was like, you all got to get up here. Yeah. This is amazing. And she just stood, like, sort of facing Mary's body like an underworld mirror after she was done taking photos. And we all took turns up on the ladder, like, looking down. I, anyway, was, like, imagining my body, like, mirrored yeah, in my own too. death. I, yeah. I kind of it was, it was almost like you were on a diving board, like ready to come. <laughs> yeah, it really yeah. felt like to dive into this like human shaped shadow. Yeah. 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 And then yeah, at the after we had finally covered her face and everything, then there was this kind of old rickety broom, like kind of stick twig broom over in a corner. And I was like, I grabbed it and tucked that in to the shroud with her too um which so that, he would have loved which she also would have loved as part of the whole witch thing yeah but it also just felt like her sort of chariot to yeah it really felt like giving her some kind of psychopompic tool for her journey no it was really really beautiful and spontaneous yeah and i think you talked in you tucked in like a picture of your dad oh that's right there was well you kind of came and you had a picture I, I think you oh, gave maybe a picture of, of dad because you were like this is your sweet I remember you talking to her at the end there yeah I imagine the three days that three-day period probably like when you're saying that how hard and abrupt that was to cover her face like my sense is that time the experience of time in those moments is so different that like she was with you for three days and it probably felt much different than that so that period of like saying goodbye again probably was like but she's been here for so long with us <laughs> no it felt like that it really did yeah yeah and then I had called the funeral home who had sent come out with the truck again and they were when they showed up, they were clearly really excited to like be on our property again because they had never been in a place like that. Nobody has. Um, and uh, then they kind of came and transported her onto the gurney and wheeled her out. And that was also, I was really like, this is really hard to roll her out and, and say goodbye to her body. And then what was interesting was the vibe of the whole space like as her body crossed the threshold literally like the vibe of the whole space shifted where i had been really like unable to stop weeping for hours at that point all of a sudden we were all just laughing together and we were like let's let's go make some brunch let's you know let's crack a bottle of wine 
there was this whole complete like really like that kind of new orleans thing where the band starts playing swing you know it was like super joyous all of a sudden yeah yeah i mean she was gone it's making me think of the the like those jaunty pallbearers who are like dancing with yeah, a casket right. in right. the in the like meme but right. um but yeah and then maybe we should talk about the cremation let me just say real quick before we do that um there's a sense that i have listening to you talk about that time with her um and i know even among people who have home funerals it's different like sometimes the body is getting like moved to all these different places and stuff but being able to have her kind of in one place for a few days i get the feeling that it sounds like you had almost two funerals or like one kind of public one kind of with friends but i get the feeling that it was like you just had all of these mini funerals in that time or it was like one long funeral like I hadn't really thought about this before as a potential, um, yeah, just a potentially meaningful aspect of home funeral. Like the night that you went in, Hap, and had a long time with her by yourself, like um, that all gets condensed when, even if you have 12 hours with the body before the home, the, the funeral director comes and takes them, like you don't get all of that sort of, room for spontaneous um grief and um communication and just for things to happen like the way that they want to happen you know i think that's so cool that i just really love hearing about the time frame of how things unfolded it felt like just all of these really important puzzle pieces yeah it really was like that it really was like we had multiple kind of funerals and memorials over the course of those three days and some very very private and intimate and some semi-public and some really public and and all those are aspects you know it's great for friends and family to have time without it being performative mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and then it's also important to perform in a way to to perform grief in front of a community um and yeah i think Three days is a good amount of time to be able to get through some of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So then, yeah, go for it. Oh, I was going to talk about the cremation. Yep. Um, as I said, then, you know, when I actually talked to the funeral home, I was like, so how soon is it going to happen? And they were like, well, it's actually going to be six weeks. I think actually the funeral the the funeral director herself was driving the truck. That was the thing. Oh yeah, that's both right. days she was driving the truck because the regular truck driver was out with COVID. They were super understaffed. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So so she came was the one who was happy to come back to our property and see it again. I really liked her. I was glad we got that yeah. she. I mean, I'm easy for me to say I wasn't having to like. I don't know. Do the hearse shift, <laughs> yeah. which wasn't usually my job, but I don't know. I was kind of glad. I, I somehow I really liked her and was glad she got to come back too. So yeah. 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 But so then it was a long, there was a long period of kind of grieving um, while mom was still on ice over there. And um, then when finally, when, oh, we had asked, I had also, one. Of, I should say this, actually, one of the things I pre-negotiated with the funeral home was like, is it possible to view the cremation mm -hmm. and this particular one they they would do it for a fee 
um, because they had to clear everybody out. Normally, the crematorium has, I guess, workers in it. I don't know uh, who's in there, but but they had to like keep. They had to like close it down and just uh, only the family could or only the viewers could be there. So they charged you a fee, but they were willing to do it. Um, and so maybe they clear all the other bodies out. Maybe they have bodies on gurneys lined up to go in there. I don't think so. I don't remember. They probably have to keep them cold. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Anyways, um, we had prearranged that we would be able to attend the, and I forget what they call, they don't call it a crematorium. There's a like, there's a alchemical word. They call oh, it a, yeah. remember? I almost uh, want to see if I can find it. Not an alembic, but. Um, no, but there's a really interesting word. There's a really it. interesting word for the thing. But, you know, it's, when I think of a cremation, I think of a funeral pyre like I've seen film of from India. And of course, if you go to see an actual cremation oven, it's a fucking blast furnace. It's not, it's like a f industrial flamethrower. Um, and it's really pretty intense and, and pretty fast. And the particular one that we, got to watch her well I think I actually got to roll her there's like this kind of a track and, and I kind of rolled her body in and that part was okay but then there's a little peephole they close the door you know the door is like this big concrete sealed thing but then there's a little peephole with like kind of semi-frosted glass you can kind of just barely see through and you hold open a little hatch and so we stayed we rolled her in and then Actually, the guy let me push the button that's, you know, brings it up to 1200 degrees or something. And uh, and then like peeping through the little thing, that was really hard. It really felt like that was another thing, even more than shrouding her face. That was a moment that really felt like deeply wrong to my body, like putting her in there, but then watching her burn. and. You can't really see the body burn as much as I wanted to, to be frank. They definitely kind of shield you from that, I think, somewhat intentionally. Um, the window is small, though kind of morbidly. It also had like ash residue that sort of half blocked it. So it did. So even though I say I wanted to sort of witness that more at the same time, I really like just like just like, no, no, like we can't, you're hurting her. Like we can't do this. You don't do this to her body. Like it just welled up in me the whole time. Yeah. That was seemed really brutal. Like yeah. to be in, 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 I think it was partly just the industrial nature of the flame. Yeah. Seemed really like, like um, blasphemous and, and brutal. And then as I was peeping through you know it's basically just like this white hot mass of flame is all you can really see but then I was like oh I, I see something a little black it's like some kind of black branch or something sticking up against the maybe it's that maybe it's that broom I put in then I was like no it couldn't be the broom that broom would have been burned up right away and I realized it was her arm bone that kind of gotten blown up by the force of the flame that was coming from her head side and it was her poor broken old arm kind of I was seeing silhouetted against the white hot flame and that was 
a very tough, that was a tough moment. Yeah, but cremation in a way felt like the hardest part for me, or like the really like saying goodbye part, as weird as that might no, sound. It, did. it felt really, really final. It was like then you felt really alone. I remember I, yeah. we went to coffee afterwards or to get pastries and we were like, it's just us now. Yeah. And it felt really alone. And in retrospect, as we talk about it, you know, kind of looping back to this question of the home funeral pyre, um, I think had we been able to do something like that, it might've felt very different. I don't think it's necessarily consigning a body to the flames, but it's really the kind of weird, industrialized, techno-capitalist, um, fakely uh, uh, antiseptic mm -hmm. nature of that process. I mean, yeah. I think I still might've had the same visceral, visceral reaction. It was just more, I agree with you that all of that makes it extra weird or almost numbing. I mean, I didn't feel numb through any of this, but I really feel like it's all there to dampen the experience in a way that is unfair to all of us. But I, so it, maybe it would have been different. I still can only imagine there was just this sudden sense of like, you can't, I, of her being gone more when her body was gone. Like that's all I know. We and, would never again be able to like bow to her or kiss her hand or talk yeah. to her. Yeah, and I wonder, I couldn't help but wonder, I'm like, I mean, we talked about this at the time, like, would it be different if we were burying her? Would it not be different that we would, not that we would want to go dig her up, but just even sometimes the, the almost non-finality, I mean, I can imagine if, like tossing dirt over her would have also been like, oh, wrong. Like yeah. my body mind would have screamed, this is deeply wrong because you wouldn't do that to a living person. And at the same time, just that she would be there and you could be with her or like even dig her up if you wanted to. Yeah. Somehow it's funny how I was like, that would have felt like a safety net or something. Yeah, yeah. Not like we shouldn't want that, but it was just, yeah. My relationship the possibility, to the potential. My relationship to a dead body is more complex than I would have thought. Even knowing she was gone, again, it was comforting with her body there, and it—I don't know—but it felt like it would be relatively comforting to like be like, I can go visit her grave, yeah, and so versus I can visit her ashes, which we don't really have anymore. I mean, you can talk about that i think that's important well yeah so so as it as it happened in the course of our lives this doesn't have to do with home funerals but as it happened we received her ashes then you know in a plastic box with a special seal on it and had to sign a piece of paper saying that we knew they were human remains and keep that piece of paper with us whenever we had the ashes because it's all ritually impure and then we had that plastic box we could have paid up for a non-plastic box but we we didn't and that plastic box was sitting on our altar in our cottage which as events transpired several months later was burned down in a wildfire which means that the ashes of mom's body were just mixed up completely with all the rest of the ashes of our life um so now we really don't have access to there's nothing of her that we can talk to when we want to talk to her well and it still somehow feels like she then got the like pyre 
experience Mm -hmm. that maybe we all wanted weirdly enough yeah Yeah. i feel that too actually Yeah. yeah I've never heard a story like that before. I've never, I've never talked to somebody who has witnessed a cremation. Um, did you know, how did you know that you wanted to do that? Did it feel like um, in keeping with the rest of um, the funeral of just being involved and witnessing everything that was happening? Yeah, yeah. I was just curious about all of it. And so I was like, they probably won't let us in, but maybe they would. And so I just asked. and. Yeah. The guy, the the I don't know what his name is, the you know, some kind of title, the guy who pushes who rolls the body in and pushes the button, but he um he said that every now and then, like one a month, somebody asks to come and be part of the cremation. It's pretty uncommon, but not unheard of. Yeah. So because again, there is the little viewing window, which might be there for the professionals, but I feel I like they, yeah, they use it to check to see if it's done. Of course, they do. I guess you, yeah, you might have to. I see. did. I did also love to joke with all and sundry about like what? What if is it like a car wash? Can I just like ride through with her? So that's funny, right? Yeah. No, I feel like the crematorium guy, whatever his official title is, was. Had a good sense of humor about it all yeah 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 he did but no i i just i i wanted to be as i wanted to be as close to the whole thing as i could mm-hmm. um yeah um this feels like a good time to transition you've mentioned a few things already but um advice that you would have for people who are considering this and haven't done it before or similarly Anything that you wish you had known in advance that would have made the process easier, smoother, et cetera? Yeah, just to reiterate, the main advice is to ask and keep asking and ask different people and really try to map out, like, because it's because all of this is terra incognita, once you step off the beaten path. Um, you can make your own rules to an amazing degree. And um, so so ask, and then, it, you know, if I, because of, like I said, the, I think the other advice that I would give that I wish that I had known is that end of life is not just weird in our society after death, but it's weird in the run up to a death. And the entire, the hospice industry is, you know, a weird industry that in the 70s was a volunteer industry and is now a for-profit industry. And as a for-profit industry, their main job is dispensing a cocktail of Xanax and morphine. And many, many people, most people actually die because a hospice nurse says to them, do you want me to keep your parent comfortable and the person says yes and they up the dosage of morphine and the person actually dies of a morphine overdose and you know knowing all of this about the industrial death process knowing about sniffs i didn't know about skilled nursing facilities but most people die in skilled nursing facilities which are breeders of antibiotic resistant pneumonias 
and that's what also sends a lot of people out. So most people who die in America don't die of the disease that they have. They just die of one of these other causes. Um, so I will say all of that to people who have loved ones that are approaching death. Um, be prepared and, and ready to advocate for yourself way before, like, like in the pro in the process of the, when the person, when you realize the person is terminal, that's when it's time to start advocating for yourself and for them and trying to find alternate modes. Um, and and be because of all of that, it was harder for us to plan in advance than we thought. We thought we had kind of made a game plan and would just have to make one phone call when mom died. But in fact, we had to make many, many phone calls at the end at a time when I didn't want to be making phone calls. And so um, if I had known about all the weird eventualities that can come as someone seems to be dying, because the care home, can I just, I'm just going to talk about this. The, the thing is that the care home has like liability issues around somebody who's terminal and they kind of, there's this, you know, the insurance companies are running everything at that point. And so the care home kind of like has to hand off responsibility to the hospice nurses. And then if the hospice nurses say that there's a, a wound, a bed sore, for instance, the hospice nurses can trigger um, non-voluntary transfer to a skilled nursing facility because nobody wants to be responsible mm -hmm. for this dying person. Mm -hmm. And they at one point threatened me with adult protective services because I didn't want mom to be to die in a sniff. Um, so there's a lot of like shit around there that nobody encounters. And it's really and it's really terrible and dark and um, extremely unfair that people like grieving people have to deal with that. It sucks. And so like I'm even thinking of like what we learned about force feeding where mom's body was ready to die but because of liability they kept feeding her by like putting like it's called force feeding and you have to even ask that your loved one isn't force fed when they're dying because that kept her body alive and honestly I think kept her not uncomfortable in the way that morphine fixes she actually Luckily didn't, um, I don't think she had much or any morphine at the end, which we were really grateful for. Not necessarily our decision, but I don't think she really wanted to go that way either. Um, but there are all kinds of little intricacies that are, I think, quite cruel to the dying person and the family because of things like liability, which I get is there and probably protects some people sometimes but mostly just makes things weirder and harder and more unnatural. Yeah. Yeah, so that's one piece of advice. And then uh, another piece of advice is like, um, you can get dry, figure out where you can get dry eyes, you know, prepare yourself with rags and essential oils that you can put into bowls of water. Um, get friends who were, not going to be squigged by body fluids and um, and a dead body, and um, you know. But and you can do all of this yourself. You don't need to pay a professional. You can you can clean a loved one's dead body. Dead bodies are not actually dangerous. They don't smell 
They're not gushy. They're very, very cold and stiff. And um, you can kind of keep one in your home with some ice and you don't need to put a bunch of herbs around it because it's not stinky. Yeah, um, yeah. You can, but you don't I, need to. I would say it was good that it was February in Northern California and in a house with no central heating. That's true, yeah. Those things are good and I would probably recommend. But again, there was nothing squiggy like you like it's scary or dangerous to have a body there for three days. And I really think the the culture, the like kind of avoidant culture that we have come to have as a society around death and and how it is hard to think straight when you're grieving, the, the, the funeral industry takes advantage of all of that by just, you know, being like, we'll take, we'll take it from here and charging you too much and not informing you of your rights. And so I would also tell people to start, like we started planning this years before mom died. And I'm really glad that we did. So we could also ask her and find, you know, where the respectful line is with what she wanted, which I guess conveniently for us, she was just like in her way, like, I'll be dead. I'll be dead. I don't care. Ha ha ha. That was definitely her kind of sense of humor, which was both, I found it charming. I think you probably sometimes found it really exasperating <laughs> as her son, but um, but it should be planned so you can talk to your loved ones and see what they want. And again, we honored her wishes for their cremation. Maybe we'll still go pick up some of ashes from her home where her ashes were and take them to where she was born someday. I think we might still do that as a gesture. Mm -hmm. So it's a conversation people should have. People don't want to talk about it. I don't know. I, I mean, I think I'll want to talk about it when I'm older. Probably I don't feel ready yet. You never know, but. <laughs> well, no, I mean, that's real talk it's though. Real, like, yeah. when, it's really, when it's really coming, we don't know how we'll be. We don't know how resistant we may be to talking about it. That's true, actually. Planning for it, because we may not want to admit that it's happening, you know. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, our mental states can be in different conditions as well. But yeah, I've noticed like, there's there's an amount of planning you can do and then it sounds like y'all also just ended up having to do a lot on the fly I mean death is so unpredictable where she would go and what the specific rules were at the specific place where she was going to be and all of that um and then what you were able to do through the death doula versus having to do it yourself at the funeral home I mean it sounds like you were doing quite a lot of like spontaneous figuring it out as you went yeah, we actually were. It would have been great if we hadn't had to. Um, and you can, you can. You can call the funeral home and say, hey, we, we've we decided we don't want her delivered here. We want her delivered to my cousin's house instead because she's got a bigger house and, you know, they, they might work with you. So. Yeah, and if they don't work with you, call someone else and see if they will. Like, like you definitely have to kind of dig in and find where the hard edge of the law is where you live, respect to that part. And then all the other places where you might expect to know there isn't a real one. You might just have to ask a few people or ask in a few different ways. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. I feel like we've been on a whole journey over this hour and a half or so. Um, yeah, is there anything else that you would like to say? Just uh, 
to sort of complete this picture that we've been talking about today or tie up any loose ends or anything? Um, for me, I just would like to say thanks for giving us opportunity to talk about this. Uh, I, it's, it's always healing to talk about. It's also something that I feel passionate about, encouraging people to push back against the tide of our age. And it, it, I don't know if you can hear in the way that I tell all these stories, but it's something I'm very proud of. I'm very proud that Vex and I did it and did it our way and made an experience for our community that I know that uh, none of them will ever forget. Yeah, our friends you know, who knew her well and also wanted to say goodbye all were so thankful for the opportunity too. And I feel that way. It's a really powerful reclamation of something that would have been much more like just an integrated part of life before. Again, like 70 years ago, like you said earlier, we would have all just known to do that. And um, and I really felt how powerful a ritual it was. It was beautiful. It was as beautiful as any you know wedding I've been to. Very different, but yeah, but also really beautiful. And was about honoring the person who passed and brought community together in the same way that a wedding does. Like I could really see how important that part was for us and for like some of our good friends and like Mary's sort of extended community. It was really, really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really moved that your friends were um up for helping, particularly with washing the body. I think that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it is amazing. It's brave. And uh, uh, another piece of advice is if you ever have the opportunity to participate in that way with somebody else's uh, family member, uh, take it. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. I know it's a really, like you say, you're, you're proud of it and it's nice to get to talk about it. So it's just such a tender subject and I really, really appreciate sharing with me and sharing publicly. Um, yeah, just really, really touched. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jane. Yeah.